world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Do you think Nito's so hard to reach because he his like phone just like doesn't work on him could be i think he can control it right so he doesn't have to like turn on the part of his powers that are activated in his upper thigh he can just put his phone in his pocket i think you were i thought you're gonna make some kind of pun about like a, he's a repelling magnet not an attracting oh uh, no that wasn't that wasn't he pushes all. people away i just thought i just thought it'd be it, the idea would be funny that like every time he goes to like a t-mobile store and they're like, here you go, don't break it, don't break it so fast this time, Mr. Magneto, sir. <laughs> and they put it in his hand, and he's just like, <laughs> he's just crying. He's like, do you have anything that's plastic? <laughs> he, he, has he, to probably... walk, he has to walk around with one of those kids, like, pebble phones, the ones that, like, you, the dad, like, the parent has to, like, assign the, the phone number on an app or something. <laughs> He's gotta, he's gotta call like Quicksilver or Professor X to like add more minutes to him because he's on a child account. He's like, no, I'm, I need to go kill some bad guys. Ah, you've overtexted this month. You gotta wait. Nights and like, weekends. He's like, Pietro, put your sister on the phone. He's like, Dad, what do you call her? I only have three phone numbers I can assign. I thought it was four. I will never unassign Charles. <laughs> Wait, who's his third? So it's Pietro, it's not Wanda, and it's not uh, Lorna, whoever uh, Polaris is. It's Pietro it's, it's, and Charles, and who's his third? That's what I want to know. It's got to be Mystique. I don't know. I think that's more of a movie thing. Than a that is a movie thing. I was I was hoping for like you to right? say like the 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 Thai food restaurant by his apartment. But, oh, okay. you know, yeah. I also like the idea of him calling Wolverine just for no real reason other than <laughs> just, like just <laughs> just to be hey, able to. I, I can mess you up anytime I want. Okay, bye. <laughs> He's like, hey, Wolverine, are you able to lift up your hand right now? He's like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, didn't think so. <laughs> Ah, oh, boy. Anyways, no, you guys misunderstood. It's not three. It's four. So, so really, he only has, like, two slots to no, play No, no, so he has three. He, he has no. four total? He has four total. He'll never unassign Charles, but yeah. he will apparently unassign his own child. Child? Oh, yeah, Pietro, like, back... Pietro is, like, off and on of that list constantly. I <laughs> Just like... Hey, constantly. Like, he calls up Pietro. He's like, he's like, are you a mutant this month? He's like, no, Dad, I'm a mutate this month. He's like, all right... Get you're, off, you're off the list. <laughs> I feel like Pietro and Wanda are only inconsistently Magneto's children anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're inconsistently on his little Gabba Gabba watch. <laughs> Charles, he's got his helmet and he's like, you can't read my thoughts, Charles. He's like, yeah, but I know where you've been. Look. And he shows his computer screen. I can track your movements because you're on that kid phone. <laughs> Two trips to the grocery store? I forgot shallots. Yeah, you did. Get your act together, Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Brotherhood of Can't Make a Good Salad Dressing. <laughs> Two trips, Eric. Two! Look, in his defense, shallots are really important. Apparently not important enough to not forget the first trip around. 
They hide him. They hide him between the garlic and the onions, as the shallot is both. I just have this constant fear that there's someone on a security camera somewhere that watches me do laps in the grocery store because I'm an idiot. And by the time I get to the end of the store, I have an idea of something else I want to make, and I have to go back to produce like a failure. Oh. Like a failure. <laughs> what an idiot. Look at him going back for cilantro. What an idiot. Uh, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure your NSA agent is well entertained with your shenanigans, John. I hope so. I, like, had, like... I don't know, like a nervous moment, and it ended up with me doing an entire Monty Python and the Holy Grail scene on a conference call today. <laughs> so, someone put a quarter in the jukebox, and I let that sucker play. So, speaking of being on a conference call, uh, we're on one so that we can talk about comic books. This is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. My name's Steven. We've got John and Aldo on the line. How you two doing tonight? I'm better. I got an iPhone. I'm better than Eric Lencher, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing better than most of the people that Eric Lencher meets in the books of men today. Men call him Magneto. No, they don't. They can't get a hold of him. <laughs> <laughs> hey Alexa, call me Magneto. <laughs> As it scrambles from the magne- from the magnetism. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. You know he's bought a compass every month of the year, and he's like, these things don't work for me. I just imagine like people just like, you know, I set up, I set up my Google Assistant the other day, Eric, and he's just like, that must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Equally, someone else is like, I refilled my stapler the other day. Must be nice. <laughs> I also like to imagine that somebody's talking about like I was I started watching Breaking Bad the colors, the color work in that is really nice. He's like it all looks purple and green to me. <laughs> okay, I admit you lost me with that one. When you when you stick like a magnet, well when you stick like a magnet on TV and it changes like the colors to so like those weird wonky like purples and greens. Oh, I see, I see. I don't know if modern TV still do that, but I don't want to find out. I just had this mental image of Magneto trying to load a stapler and all of the staples got stuck to his hand like they're those little styrofoam peanuts (laughs) from the (laughs) mail. That's exactly what I imagined. Oh my gosh. Milton from Office Space has Magneto. Excuse me. uh, Men call me Magneto. I believe you have my rights as a mutant, as a person on the planet. This is the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. They've they've killed they they killed everyone in Genosha. They ki- they killed everyone, and I used to live there on an island. I think this is a good bit, and we should keep it going for another hour and a half. So anyway, um, they moved my they moved my. Um, Why don't we start by talking about Magneto, times. like the comic, the story that we actually read, the comic story that we read called Magneto. Yeah, we can cut everything I said about Milton. Uh, yeah, who's, who's gonna summarize? Who's gonna summarize? I thought it would kill. I thought the bit was hilarious. Yeah, it did kill the conversation for a bit. <sighs> so, I, I don't think I uh, set this up properly when we were uh, talking about what to read during the last episode. So we read the first six issues of the 2014 Magneto series, written by Colin Bunn, with art by uh, Gabriel Hernandez Walta and Javier Fernandez Barranco. And we had covers by uh, Declan Shalvi, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Corey Pettit from Virtual Calligraphy. It's like, holy crap, it's like, I can see the Matrix now that I know what VC stands for and all of these lettering credits. <laughs> uh, it's just so wild. 
Anyway, so I believe, my, my timeline here might be a little bit off, but I believe that this story takes place around the same time as revolutionary leader Cyclops uh, and that sort of era of the X-Men. Magneto is a lo- I like to call him Cyclops Guevara. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, Magneto is slightly depowered. He does not have the the great heights of his magnetic ability. Still has enough to wreck up a bunch of people, and he decides to use that ability to track down people who are terrorizing and harassing and killing mutants. And so, in the six issues that we read, we really have two different story arcs. The first story kicks off with Magneto hunting down a man who murdered a mutant in cold blood. When he finally confronts the man, the man reveals that he didn't really know what he was doing uh, and suddenly turns into a killer robot and tries to murder Magneto. Turns out that somebody is kidnapping unhoused people, homeless people, and turning them into sentinels with co-opted technology and, uh... Magneto doesn't like that, obviously, so he tries to get to the bottom of it. In his investigation, he finds that what is happening is someone is trying to set up a human colony where they can be safe from the mutant menace. They don't actually want to go out and kill mutants. They just want to create a a space that's like a mutant-free zone. And Magneto still doesn't take too kindly to it, tears the whole thing down. Uh, The second story arc involves Magneto showing up in a sleepy little town where a mysterious woman contacts him to give him some information on some of the greatest mutant mass murderers that history has ever known. They aren't humans, though. They happen to be mutants. It's the, the I think it was the Marauders, which is a group yeah. of supervillains that were put together by Mr. Sinister, and they were responsible for the mutant massacre, which was one of the major X-Men events. One of the first, I think, major X-Men events, like X-Men line-wide publishing events from the 1980s. So Magneto starts tracking down the Marauders, gets into a big fight with them, and then takes over, like, the Marauders are clones that keep getting recreated. He takes over the cloning facility, and uh, the portion of the series that we end, uh, read kind of ends with Magneto pondering how he is going to use his new army of murderous mutant clones. And I guess there was another story kind of wedged in the middle there of this organization of mutant haters. I think we've come across them before in some of the stories that we've read. The Purifiers. They've popped up from time to time. I think we've read them most in some of the Messiah War uh, adjacent stories. Yeah, Religious zealots who think mutants are an abomination and try to murder them. Uh, Magneto takes them out. One and done, mutant revenge story. And that's kind of the, I don't know, as I was reading this, the the parallel that came most readily to mind for me is, this is basically what if Magneto was the Punisher. Yeah, that's fair. And it felt like that in moments because it was like, hey, he's brutally killing these people. And like, yeah, it's bad guys, but like, ooh, that's like, you know... He's got a lot of skeletons in his closet because it's not always been just bad guys that he's gone after. And the way people describe him, they're afraid of him and they can't see, you know, this isn't just about righting wrongs. This is revenge. Mm -hmm. This is fury. You know, they're terrified of him because he's on some level enjoying this, you know, because it's, you know, getting back at these people who he feels have wronged him and wronged mutants. So... Yeah, that's what we read today. I think this might be, like, leading up towards something. This was more, uh, serial than I expected. I expected something that was a little bit more, you know... Sandwich? Yes. Yeah. Sandwich? Is Magneto a sandwich? (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm white. We can't have adult conversations. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was expecting something that was a little bit more like like what we tend to see from from these sorts of stories nowadays, where it's obviously one large story arc that they kind of set up and maybe have little episodes throughout, but. No, this this felt, at least from the get-go, like it was going to be fairly episodic. Now, it's possible that there's a larger story arc involving these S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who are chasing Magneto down, this mysterious red-headed woman who I don't think we know who she is, uh, who gives him information on how to track down the Marauders. Uh, so it's possible that it's building towards something, but for the time being, we just kind of read these, these couple of revenge fantasies. What did y'all think? You know, I still liked it, even though it's like, oh, that's like, it's rough, you know. Um, I I liked the different ways. Like, yeah, he's depowered, but still, like, is smarter with his powers. You know, he's not waving his hand and destroying an entire city. He is going into a building full of police and ripping away all of their weapons and chunks from the wall. And from those chunks, he's forming his you know, typical look, his helmet, his, you know, armor, that kind of thing. I thought that was a cool, uh, that was a cool, you know, visual thing that they added in here. Um, a way to show him, like, you know, yeah, he's, he's a little depowered, but, like, still a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. This is kind of what you see a bit of in the movie, where um, we get uh, Michael Fassbender being uh, Magneto, the Nazi hunter, for a bit, when he goes to... Uh, try to find Kevin Bacon, which, and that I've said that out loud, sounds ridiculous. But when he's like, in, he's in Argentina and he's finding old Nazi, so, uh, old Nazi, Nazi officers who were in camps and stuff and trying to find out, uh, trying to find Kevin Bacon's Sebastian Shaw character. Um, this is like a whole, you know, series of that where it's just him on his own, uh, no backup. Um, he's, you know, finding some little bits of information from sources, and I think we'll get more of that. I want to say I read a little bit further here um, at some point. He's so back and forth, good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy, good. You know, there are people who, you know, the shirts are brought up in this that have previously been in X-Men comics where people, you know, Magneto was right. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, you, you see what he's gone through and um, all of this, and you get his thoughts as he's going through and how... You know, very easily he might not have made it to where he is today, you know, if if things had been a little different. And um, I don't know. He's an interesting character because he's arguably a hero and a villain. Yeah. And, you know, more villain, but still, like, it's tough to be like, yeah, I mean, wouldn't you be mad? <laughs> you know? I th- yeah, I think he's one of those characters that you have to be a little careful with, right? Because I think he's an easy character to keep in balance in the sense of, like, he's a justified villain. Yeah. And I think it's really... It's as, it's as easy to keep him balanced as it is to, like, accidentally swing him over to, like, to an anti-hero without so much of, like, a moral grayness. Or swinging him over all the way over to, to being, like, a maniacal cartoony villain which you know in all three of those scenarios he works but i think he's most interesting when he's kind of having that that you know balance and i think in this book we get a a lot of it i was a little surprised at the violence especially from the book steven recommended i didn't recommend this was that not you this was john i fooled both of you i think both of these books we read tonight are my recommendations or at least like i think they were you know i started the inception process I, i don't know why i I don't know why I associated most of this book with uh, with Stephen. I mean, on this podcast, I think the, I'm the one who's been the most vocal 
in defending Punisher stories. Mm -hmm. I am increasingly not okay with that and thus struggled <laughs> with this story a little bit as well. Um, I do think like the the comparison to the Punisher in this story especially is apt because the Punisher, uh -huh. like frequently the way the Punisher stories work is that he takes on these folks who have committed just horrible atrocities. And that's what they try to do with Magneto here. The Marauders, greatest mass murderers in mutant history, the the purifiers, uh, right-wing religious extremists, like, oh gosh, we're due for a purifiers Proud Boy story, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, I mean I don't want to write right it, there. I don't want to read it, but I want it to exist. <laughs> now they're kind of, I mean it's like either that or it's like they're the Westboro Baptist Church. You I know? think that's kind of what they've been called it's, on, but I think even uh, it's, it's sad to say, but I think there are more extreme groups that adhere to that sort of intolerant religiosity nowadays than the Westboro Baptist Church. Um, but anyway, let's talk about fun comic books, like this story where Magneto drives a paperclip up a woman's skin. Yikes, right? Right! Ooh, Ugh. Boy. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing. Like, the idea is you are on Magneto's side and the violence is cathartic because the people deserve it. But, ugh, I don't know. I'm losing tolerance for this sort of thing pretty quickly nowadays. You know you know why John Wick works? It's because the, the, the pain and the hurt is snappy. It doesn't linger. And that lingers. I think when it lingers, that's when, like, you get to start... You start to get a sense that they enjoy, enjoy it. And when the hero enjoys dealing out that much pain, that much kind of torture, they become a little less agreeable, right? A little less sympathetic. Yeah. 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 That's that's the word. But yeah, so I think I think that's part of the problem here is I think the writers and artists like that punishment to the point where it makes Magneto a little less sympathetic. Yeah. I think they took a look at what you could do with the powers of magnetism and they played around with that a little bit. What would happen if you um, put a paperclip into someone's skin and like what would happen if you could move it up through their bloodstream Ugh. what would happen if you were just in a normal place with you know limited powers as before but what would you really do you know he's able to in this room full and you can see him kind of you know clocking all of the different metallic objects that are in there you could knock everybody over because everybody has something metal on them you can get some liquid metal this um uh, what he does to the marauders yeah this kind of, um, you know, I forget the name of it, he has like some sort of ferrous liquid that they ingest, he can control it and get into their insides and really wreck them up. So I think they took some time to flesh it out and make it more than just hand wavy, like, I have magnetism. And they really, compared to what they used to like allow Magneto's powers to also be, he had like some sort of like mind control. I was powers. gonna bring that up. Yeah, it's yeah, it's ridiculous with some of the old X Men comics. What they just kind of, uh, yeah, magnetism can do that. Sure, um, this feels more like there's been some thought into it and some kind of planning of okay, what would you what would you do with you know a slightly limited skill set to really be effective? Um, I also thought that the art was good. Oh, the art's so and good. Kind of. It's, yeah, it kind of matches the brutal tone. Would you say that Magneto's powers this time around were a little bit more grounded? He's magnetic, not electric. Yeah. Oh, dang, damn it. Yeah. That's right. They're not the same. <laughs> Go back to science class. Uh, all right. I'm sorry. He cut all that out. Or keep it in there. Make me look dumb. <laughs> That's the thing, is that, like, we joke with Steven, um... 
you know, half the time he has the ultimate say in what stays in and who's, who's funny and who appears smart and, you know. Very much. 50% of the time it works every time. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Um, I thought that the art, it was, you know, it wasn't super polished, but, you know, purposely so where, um, you know, the colors are a little muted and stuff and they use these stark contrasts where we see his flashbacks where they're, you know, really strong like darks and lights together where he's just you know showcasing his like you know unbelievable power and then now he's just kind of in the shadows you know doing his thing um really enjoyed the art and i like the design of magneto especially in those first issues uh the ones Mm -hmm. that are uh illustrated by man it doesn't help that the artist's names are kind of similar the first issue i'm just i'm looking at it now gabriel hernandez walto yeah but yeah especially his take on magneto he's kind of brute-ish like Mm -hmm. he's got the shaved head He's got broad shoulders. He's not, like, incredibly built, but he looks more, like, physically imposing than I'm used to seeing Magneto with the helmet and the long wavy hair and, and like, the goofy cape and stuff. And there are moments when he has echoes of that, but even outside of it, he looks like a dangerous man. He's, he's, he his looks, design is very deliberate, and I really like it. He looks yeah. like what Jeff Bezos thinks he looks like. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm singing that Bo Burnham song, but it's about Magneto now. Magnus, Magnus Lenscher. Come on, Magnus, you can do it. <laughs> Drive the paper clip right through it. <laughs> oh, please don't. Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but yeah, no, like, in uh, nearly every issue of this book, I took a screenshot just because I thought there was a panel that was good or a layout that was good. Like when Magneto is using his abilities when he's going through this compound for the people who, you know, have been kidnapping the homeless folks and turning him into turning him into sentinels. He uses his abilities to like identify that they've got a broken master mold in the basement and there's like this layout panel with with like little radar echoes going out from Magneto. Everything's in gray. It's it's really good imagery. Uh that was I think issue 3 page 10 if you want to look at that. Yeah, that one stood out to me as well that master mold in the basement where he's just like, "Oh boy." Um really enjoyed that. Really liked the look of this book. Reading it made me uncomfortable. That's that's where I it, mm. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I get it, right? Like Magneto has been through this big tragedy, has lost so many people that he cared about. Humanity has killed so many of his people. And he's... This is an interesting sort of take on Magneto because he's not just in it for revenge against the human race, but he's very deliberately trying to target the people who are responsible for murdering his friends and murdering his people. And so it's more sympathetic in a lot of ways than we've seen Magneto before. So I get it, I get it, I get it. Just increasingly resorting to that level of violence in the name of, of you know personal retribution even if you think your cause is just it just doesn't i don't like it i don't like it anymore i think that's part of the point though because a lot of what he says he also talks about how he's lost his sympathy Mm -hmm. specifically when we're talking about that issue where he goes to the tent city 
right? Right. And he's talking about the people there and, you know, do they... At first, it's kind of like... It's a little dehumanizing because he's like, do they sense a predator among them or something like that, right? Yeah. But then, like, towards the end, when S.H.I.E.L.D. arrives, right, and they have to... They're displacing this tent community. Magneto says that, you know, he's kind of become a little bit more heartless. He's lost sympathy for, like, non-mutants, essentially. And the way he acts in here really brings that out where... Yeah, like his his war feels justified on the surface, but what he's doing, the lack of sympathy for any life that's not mutant, and just kind of how he disposes and uses people, I think that's meant to contrast that, really contrast that, and kind of remind us that like he's so far gone down this revenge hole that he's he's a he's still a villain yeah regardless of how sympathetic and how just his war feels he's still a, he, he that's part of why he's interesting is because he's still a villain even though he's trying to do something in the name of good right yeah i don't think i disagree with that at all i just with mm-hmm. just the fragment that we read it's for me this just reads like kind of gratuitous violence uh hopefully oh, yeah, like yeah, somewhere yeah, oh, yeah. along the way it gets there and uh i am in theory at least i am fine with stories that have just like a lot of violence but the violence that's depicted in the story is in service of of something meaningful and useful i am fully on board with depicting an act does not necessarily indicate condolence or, uh, I don't remember if condolence is the word I want, uh, like approval of the act. Like I'm, I'm for all of that to still just like right now, this is, this is hitting me a little weird and I'm not sure that I love it. Although there's a lot of good stuff in this, a lot of stuff to recommend these stories. I think I mentioned that, sorry, I just want to correct this real quick. I think I mentioned that the covers were by, uh, Declan Shalvey. Not all of them. Uh, the cover to issue number two, at least according to the app, is Chris Somni. Covers are good. <laughs> yeah, they kept me up at night. They made me an insomniac. Only one of them. Um, I think. It's fine. It's fine. That's, that's, that's uh, strictly for me and me only. <laughs> Enjoyed the black and white look of his outfit, you know. There's a lot of good silhouettes that use... Um, yeah. That use that color scheme, right? I, th- I want to say it's in the fourth yeah. or fifth issue. I don't have it up. Uh, and I know that's a bit of a disservice, <laughs> but it's the one where he's moving. Oh gosh, that's such a vague thing, right? He's moving stuff with his magnetism, um, <laughs> but it's it's the full page, like the uh, like a full single page, and he's in the middle, and all the stuff is on the edge of the page, and all you mm-hmm. see is like his the silhouette of him in the middle, in the middle, and the silhouette and a little bit of detail on the things around it. That was a neat page. A lot of yeah. neat pages in this book. I think I've exhausted uh, what I had to say. I, I just, I liked it, but cannot argue, yeah, it was it was brutal. And, you know, you try to root for him because you're like, the mutants, you know, they're right, right? And they're, they're our heroes. They're the ones we're rooting for. And, um, you know, he's fighting bad guys, but... Huh. Um, yes, and, and although it is issue five, that one where he moves things around... <laughs> Thank um, you. It's, it's exactly as described. <laughs> he's a, he's in the middle, his cape, his arms outstretched. Um, and yeah, like there's like construction <laughs> equipment. There's, yeah. you know, people Stop. and bits of girders and buildings. And yeah, just stinks, <laughs> Things and stuff. I think my only problem with this book is that it feels like we've only watched 
uh, you know, the first four episodes of season one of Breaking Bad. Interesting. Uh, I like that comparison. There's some good stuff in here, and there's probably going to get better. Uh, he's probably going to dissolve somebody in acid, but uh, I don't know that yet. It's only the first <laughs> the first little bit. Reasonable assumption. I am interested. I do want to read the rest of the, of the book. Yeah, me too. I don't know if I will, but not out of quality, just because I'm a terrible person who doesn't read when it's not for an assignment. <laughs> it is literally impossible to read all of the things. Just I console yeah, myself I mean, with I, that all the time because there's so much stuff that I want to read and watch and it's just literally impossible to get to it all. Yeah. And this is unfortunately going to rank pretty low on my personal list of things I want to read. Again, not because it's bad, but it's just, it's just, I have other priorities. A lot of them start with Spider-Man and end with man. <laughs> Spider-Man. Spider-Man man, man that classic <laughs> <Exactly>. Marvel hero. <laughs> I don't remember that character from, from the Spider-Verse event. Spider-Man. Man. If we say it one more time, a real character will exist somewhere. It would just pop into existence. Be like, they made a pig into Spider-Man. Of course they're going to have a Spider-Man man. Well, that's because you read the wrong event. Spider-Verse verse <laughs> <laughs> not to be mistaken with the sequel events spider spider verse all right should, should we move on <laughs> hey you know what we read daredevil yellow we decided to read this and then tim sale passed away it's very sad tim sales the artist on this and jeff Loeb is the uh, writer they worked together a lot uh jeff Loeb um had done movies and television and um, got into comics um, had a connection to DC and uh, started writing and wanted to do something that they weren't um, working on. And he had previously read um, Jack Kirby's Challenges of the Unknown, and he wanted to revisit that, and that was something that they weren't doing anything with. And he wanted a, an artist who drew interesting faces, like ugly characters, and had seen some of uh, Tim Sale's work and got Tim Sale to work on it. And so they worked together on several Batman stories, Batman Haunted Night, Batman The Long Halloween, uh, Batman Dark Victory, which follows up Long Halloween, um, Superman for All Seasons, and then at Marvel, uh, Catwoman Women in Rome, excuse me, at Marvel they did these color, you know, uh, books where we have Hulk Gray, Spider-Man Blue, Captain America White, and Daredevil Yellow. Um, these kind of all refer to um, different points in the character's history. Captain America White talks about uh, a mission he went on with the Howling Commandos. Hulk Gray is like the first few hours after he turns into the Hulk where he had previously been colored gray in the comics and then later uh, green. Spider-Man Blue is kind of a melancholy um, story returning to some of the classic moments from the early Spider-Man run kind of revisited um, and it's all uh, Spider-Man recording uh, messages to Gwen Stacy, who has passed away. Similarly, we get Daredevil Yellow, where Daredevil is writing letters to Karen Page, who has passed away, about their first meetings. It's called Daredevil Yellow because his original costume in the comics was yellow, so this is how he became Daredevil. I always thought that in the Daredevil continuity, he uh, lost his father when he was a boy, um, this kind of retcons it where he's in college, he's on his way to becoming a lawyer, and his father passes away. Similar circumstances, refuses to take a dive, gets killed by the, the, the mobsters that uh, were, you know, wanting him to take a dive, paying him for it, and, um, and then Daredevil gets revenge. So, and that's pretty much it. We see him go after the mobsters, immediately responsible for his father's death, 
and we see him starting Nelson and Murdoch with Foggy Nelson. And um, this is just his his love letter to, to Karen's memory, letting her go and trying to move on after her passing because they were very close. Obviously, they were you know together for a long time, and this is how they first met and started to fall in love. Um, initially, she was, you know, a uh, fan of Daredevil, and then later finds out that it's him, not in these uh, issues, but um, we see the Fantastic Four come over and be uh, first clients of Nelson and Murdoch. We see Electro, uh, Owlsley, um, a few, you know, classic characters from the Daredevil story, but this is just, you know, little moments when he was still wearing his yellow outfit, first becoming Daredevil, um, first, you know, being the man without fear. That's pretty much it as far as the story. Um, Karen gets kidnapped at one point by uh, the owl. She, he uh, rescues her. They, um, like I said, represent the Fantastic Four with, you know, the legal needs that they have. I think, well, they turn away Owlsley and he you know, comes after Karen, but um, they are going to represent the Purple Man and then very quickly Daredevil deals with that because he's blind and isn't sucked in by his aura. I guess they explained his powers differently there um, where, you know, if you can see him, you're affected by him. But I really, really liked this. I, I like when Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale work together. Um, I like Tim Sale's art. It's particularly good in this. Sometimes um, it's... It's, I don't know, it's a very loose style, and he's colorblind, and so he'll just do things in shades of gray, and then we get great colors in this by Matt Hollingsworth, who's one of my favorite colorists, probably my favorite colorist, because gun to my head, I don't know if I can name you any other ones right off, you know, without thinking about it, but his his work I notice. Matt Wilson, Jordy Belair. Delgado? Yeah, well, you all are better than me, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> no, because Delgado's the only one I can think of. There are a lot of good colorists out there, but there's no no shame in finding. There are great colorists out there, Monster. but yeah, this is just for you know that's that's the name that comes to mind yeah. um, when I think about. And now that I'm I've said nope, you know what, you know what, I lied. I'm thinking of Matt Wilson, who I like a lot, but this colorist is also very good. <laughs> so I I actually really like the colors in this book. <laughs> yeah, like not not just not just trying to make you feel better. I genuinely liked these colors. Uh, wasn't he a Beach Boy? That's Brian Wilson, Aldo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wouldn't it be nice if we would color Daredevil yellow in this issue? Yeah. Am I the only person who had a very very strong physical reaction when uh, Foggy pulled out a wedding ring? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like who? <laughs> For a woman who refuses to call him by his first name. <laughs> yeah. I love Foggy's look in this. He's just schlubby, and he's just, like, such a bud, you know? Um, I, like, if you look, you know, the title pages where we get, like, the name of it or whatever, Daredevil's like, this, like always in a cool pose. I, I feel like Tim Sale has a good understanding of anatomy and knows where to kind of bend it a little bit, where to do things different with it to um, draw attention to things, you know. Um, we get all these amazing poses in here. And, like, the, the coloring and the lighting, you can just, you know, feel like the, the you know, like the inks feel wet in some places, you know. It's just thick, thick blacks. And I, I want to know what you guys think, because I'm admittedly a fan. I like everything that they, they've done together. Um, I, you know, have re I've gone back and read their Long Halloween a lot because it inspired The Dark Knight, and, you know, that was 
the biggest things in sliced bread when it came out. That is to say, it was the biggest thing since, you know, Batman 89. But I just... Um, Loved long, and, and then realized, oh, wait, this is just, like, lifted all from The Godfather. But it's still good. It's still good. And then Dark Victory is really good after that because he manages to make um, the Robin story not dumb. And, uh, yeah, I want to know what you guys thought. Oh, and Superman for All Seasons is great. Superman for All Seasons is really you. good. It's my favorite yeah. of the Loeb sale things that I've ever read. Uh, John, yeah. you know that I'm not the biggest fan of Jeff Loeb. Yeah, you have many faults, but this is one, sure. Actually, this this is my first uh, Lope Sale sale book. Really, I thought you had read some of the other stuff before. Nope. <laughs> well, no, here I've, we are. Welcome. I wanted to read a lot of the color books that they did for Marvel, and I never read any of the other Batman things because uh, Batman's boring. Um, you do not think Batman <laughs> is boring? <laughs> I do <laughs> not. I actually you love liar. <laughs> Catwoman when in Rome is a lot of fun. Attention, attention, paging Dr. Edgelord. <laughs> I have an opinion nobody else has. Oh, right. Look at me, I'm interesting. <laughs> no, you're not. You're basic like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't read any of those, of the, so, of the Lope Sale books. And also, I was actually really pleasantly surprised with this book i think the thing that surprised me the most was like how easy to read it was which not to say that i have a hard time reading <laughs> but... you don't have to say it you've said it in many episodes in the past <laughs> but something about the way that the book flowed made each issue feel faster and shorter but yeah not, I, I never felt like i was missing content right like it just like a really good piece of television where like it's over you're like what that was t- yeah, that was 24 minutes what you know yeah. where did that time go like that that's how i felt at the end of every issue i i really loved it i think i i regret kind of taking so long to read a low sale book because this was uh, an incredibly good read. And I think this is one of their better pairings. Um, Captain America White was okay. Uh, I couldn't really get into it. I own it, but I just, yeah. Um, Hulk Gray was all right. Some of the Hulk like drawings in that are really cool. I like how Tim Sale draws the Hulk. He really gets into that original kind of more Frankenstein design, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Sp- Spider-Man Blue is all right. It's It's, you know, an homage to like, 60s spider-man and like you know it's the style is really cool um yeah but yeah like the this also had like a very 50s feel like a lot of this kind of Mm -hmm. like i don't know how else to put it like origin marvel right like at that time yeah with the mobsters and everything in their hats Mm -hmm. and they're like you know they were they were like gruff and ugly mobster guys and kind of had that look of like you know old comic villains yeah yeah well like and and even daredevil right because his yellow and red outfit really felt like kind of like a strong man outfit mm-hmm. so it really it really had like that classic design feel that a lot of the classic heroes in their original classic designs were emulating and they thought it was really well done who did the original daredevil design i think it's like in the dedication in the, one of the, the beginning of one of them like with like uh, i'm trying to remember i think daredevil is one of the characters where um Either Kirby did the design or, like, later said he did the design. Like, I've been I've been reading up on a lot of early Marvel history and, and frankly, who created these characters and what they act, what, what different creators actually contributed to the development of these characters. A lot of it is disputed. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, ten guys in a room saying we got to pitch some ideas and 
you know, one person gives the initial thought, which somebody runs with and makes better, you know, um, yeah. it's tough to say. Yeah, absolutely. You is. know, I think, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, who, who came up with this podcast? I mean, nobody knows, really. True. It's Enigma. Um, it's Enigma? What's wrong with me? <laughs> Stanley, Bill Everett, and Wally Wood is who is, uh, the ded- it's dedicated to in the beginning. Um, let me get a, a, a more firm answer because I should know. A firmer answer? And a firmer answer, yeah. Any more firmer, you'll have to go to the doctors. You'll have to be checked into the infirmary. Gosh. Yeah, this is not a, a unique observation. Uh, <laughs> I actually uh, think I first heard this from uh, Chris Sims, who is a comic book journalist and podcaster. But don't y'all think it's funny that Spider-Man dictates a tape to Gwen Stacy while Daredevil writes a letter to Karen Page? When it would have been easier the other way around. Uh, yeah. Right, though? <laughs> I think one of the things that's a little funny to me now, especially with the context of hit. The materials for a suit, right? Because the gloves, and I'm assuming the other parts, or some of the other parts that are red, are based on the red boxing gloves that his dad had. And his coat, or like his, uh, I don't know what you call it. Um, it's not a shawl. <laughs> but, but whatever, his little boxing cape thing. Uh, uh, what cape. Uh, anyways, that's the material for Daredevil's yellow suit, right? So... Yeah. That's not a very thick, like, material, and something about, like, it's, it's typically shiny, so I just imagine, like, a shiny, just, a, like, a shiny, velvety daredevil. <laughs> right? And it's, it, it's kind it's funny. I, I don't know. That's, that's my observation. He's, like, dark and brooding in the alleys, but he's, like, super glowy, and, yeah. like... <laughs> This is really silky. <laughs> like a, he, blind, he blinds his opponents yeah, with somebody, that bright, bright yellow. Somebody punches him and they're just like, yo, was that silk, Daredevil? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he, they hit their head on the uh, fire escape and they don't see anything else for 10 minutes. You know? yeah. For some reason now I'm just thinking, okay, this version of Daredevil is Twinkie Daredevil, whereas his later <laughs> red costume that we're more familiar with is Red Velvet Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> And Red uh, Velvet is just chocolate. It's just another for- name for chocolate. Chocolate Daredevil. Don't forget, don't forget Shadowlands Hazelnut Daredevil. <laughs> uh, I want to read that one eventually. Oh, that's good. I want to read the, sh- the Shadow's Rain, I think, is the new stuff that just came out. The new Devil's event. Rain? Is it Devil's Rain? Devil's Rain, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I'm so far out of the loop right now with, with new comics. Thank goodness for the podcast. It's the only way I ever keep on top of things. Me too. Anyways, talking about Daredevil Yellow, I like that he points out that he's also colorblind. <laughs> Just no, in there, case. There is, a, there is a line where he talks about also being like colorblind that I and I remember I had to like take a step back. I had to like go back and read it. I was like, did he just act? He's blind. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, so I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, by relation. <laughs> Steven, you were saying earlier you have not been a fan of what you've read of theirs so far, this this uh, pairing. So it's not so much that I'm not a fan. Um, I don't like Jeff Loeb very much, although I have actually in recent months kind of warmed to his take on Batman. I think there's something valuable in having that sort of like greatest hits story where you get the Batman story where you have... Uh, all of the major villains show up in different capacities. Like, I think there's some some use to the that sort of approach. 
even it's it's it, I don't think it should be the top of anybody's list but at the same time I also you got to get started somewhere and if you're going to get started you might as well get started with a story that shows you what all the good stuff is I would not say that I'm the biggest fan of Jeff Loeb's writing still like I don't think this book won me over too much because there are a bunch of weird little things, like the whole exchange that, that Matt Murdock has with the jerks in the bar when they start, like, swapping Helen Keller jokes, uh, struck me as mildly distasteful. And there are just some turns of phrase, like Daredevil at one point is chasing down, I think he's chasing down the fixer, and he says that he can smell uh, the fixer's bladder giving out as he wet himself, and he says it was like he was inside that horrible man. It's like, mm-hmm. Don't love the writing. This Tim Sale art, though, is so good. Yeah. Might be my favorite I forgot. Tim Sale this art. This was like one of their best examples. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. the art in this is so good. And it's everything from like, you got these big double page splashes of Daredevil, like bursting through a window and beating the crap out of a bunch of thugs. And like, you've got multiple different Daredevil poses that... It's all really dynamic. You've got one page that's just this splash close-up of Daredevil's face as he's holding a gun to someone. There's a cute little panel. I think this was issue four, page 20, where, or it might have been issue five, where Karen is, is telling Matt about her encounter with Daredevil and how Daredevil rescued her. And she's like got her fists up like she's doing a little boxing pose. And it's so cute. It's... That is super it's cute. It's so cute. Yeah. I've never looked yeah. at Tim Sale's art and said, that's cute before. And so just the range that's on display here has me just completely gobsmacked. It's so good. Normally, his female characters are very, like, pin-up-y, you know? And I liked that there was there was that, like, you could get the feel of, like, her being in the office, you know, like, that era where she's, like, the office secretary, but she's, you know, acting like a boxer. That was my one thing. I was like, I wish we got to see more of this character because um, I know that she's, you know, fleshed out as more than just, like, the girl in in later um, iterations, especially in the on the show. She's really a great character. You know, there's, like, a dark past to her, and she's also, like, you know, stops being a secretary, becomes an investigative reporter. You know, that's interesting. So I like that character, and, I'm you know, that was my only kind of complaint. Like, ah, oh, it'd be good if we saw her, like, as more than just the love interest. But... This is Daredevil's story and his remembrance of her. Yeah. So there's there's that, you know, where it, we're seeing what he remembers and loves about her, what he misses about her, their first meetings, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but I think what kind of bothers me about, uh, about Jeff Loeb's writing in this story is that it's a little much. The plot itself is actually pretty good. At first, I kind of struggled to see what the connective tissue was through everything. And honestly, I still kind of struggle with it by the end. It's like his recollection of his dad coupled with his first getting to know Karen Page. And it's all kind of presented as this story that he's telling Karen after she's passed on. And I'm not really seeing the through line. I think it would be weirdly stronger if it was just focused on Daredevil's character arc from being sad to becoming happy once he meets Karen and scaling back on some of that first person narration scaling back on that framing device of of Daredevil writing the letter because that narration is where I think it tends to go over the top the dialogue itself between the characters is pretty good again the plot I don't think is bad I think 
um, showing that sort of character arc of just kind of ex- Daredevil exploring his earliest days, I, I think makes for a decent story. I just, uh, all the parts that made me cringe are the bits where Daredevil gets overly descriptive or says things that kind of cocked an eyebrow. Like when he says, I may be blind, but I knew I was looking at the most beautiful girl in the world. I'm like, that's such a line. It's, yeah. A little sentimental, a little sappy. Yeah. I like that line, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just goes to show. I like writing that makes me wish I was in love, and stuff like that makes me wish I was in love. You know what? That's fair. Yeah, I think I think if you're in the mood for it, it works, you know? Yeah. Like, it was, it, it was, he's, he's literally writing to his lost love, you know? Mm-hmm. Then, yeah, maybe it's a little sappy. Well, it's not for you, it's for Karen. <laughs> Yeah, there's some like really cute moments like that. I th- I think I think there's something just so really adorable and cute about how he looks at Karen, right? And I, and I think you already kind of talked about this, but like I thought that was really kind of endearing. Um, I think just kind of how he talks about how uh, what was the thing when he when he talks to Reed Richards and that's not the thing. That's Mister Fantastic. Yeah, Mr. Fantastic. This is the line I love because he t- calls him Mr. Murdoch, right? He's like, no, call me Matt. Uh, Mr. Murdoch was my father or something like that, right? And then Reed, at, at the end of the whole thing, kind of responds in, in kind. And he's like, by the way, call me Reed, right? You know, like, hey, we're, we're friends yeah. now type thing. And later on, Foggy's talking about like, boy, that was such a Matt move, right? <laughs> you know, don't call me Mr. Murdoch, blah, 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 right? And then Karen is like, I think we should all, like, uh, I think we should all be proud of what he did or something like that, right? And he's just like, it's not even the fact that I did it or the fact that, like, it, you know, helped us get the client. It's the fact that you thought that was worth being proud of that, like, made me happy. And I was just like, my heart. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I think that's fine. <laughs> I I will I will walk back my criticism of the overwritten. No, I, I no, actually do agree with you. I think. Yeah. Okay. This mark this down as the first time. This is the first time we've changed old Chuck Sprightly's mind on anything. <laughs> no, we changed his mind on the Star Wars. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, but but yeah, no, I think I think there's some of those. Some of those lines are particularly cute. They are cheesy. They really do come across cheesy. I think if I had just gone through a breakup, I would have thrown this book out the window. I would have screw you, man. <laughs> you blind weirdo. Get out of here. The most beautiful woman I've seen. Poser. <laughs> Bet you were <word> contacts. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, like... But, uh, hey, Aldo, un- unrelated question. How's your dating life right now? Oh, uh, you know, it's fantastic. I've just gone through a breakup a month ago. <laughs> Oh, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's some really, some of those lines are really cheesy. I will give them that. But I think because they're through the lens of him remembering her and kind of telling her what he was thinking, he's going to cheese it up. I mean, obvious, he's daredevil. He runs around in a yellow suit with devil horns. He's not subtle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of course he's also notoriously cheesy. terrible in his relationships so yeah you know like things things do not work out for him in mm. the in the love department so not very well um yeah this is one of their best pairings um 
I'm glad that we got to see Tim Sale's version of the Fantastic Four. Um, I love that the thing just like butt headbutted his way into the building, and they're in their Fantastic Four mobile or whatever it's called, and they're just like, "Oh, we could have used the door, Ben." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one of you guys is is Murdock?" <laughs> I just so so good. I hate that though because he's he's a big he's a big dumb guy, not an idiot. Like, come on, <laughs> he's dumb. He's not an idiot. Okay. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. Like, yeah, he, yeah, he knows to use a doorway, yeah. even if he might have said the same things, like, or been, you know. I don't know. I just thought it was fun. He's not like, an animal. Yeah, it was funny, though. I, I do like that he's, uh, you know, hey, give me give me the bill of, like, whatever your time is, blah, 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 blah. And don't forget to include, like, the repair for the for the wall and the and the window. I just love that Reed Richards is just like, this is our life. This is why we can't yeah, go next like, places. Yep. This is why we have to go into space. You can't break windows in space, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) In space, no one can hear you litigate. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, anything else to say. Those those, uh, two-page spreads in the beginning were good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Jeff Loeb is known for, like, you know monologues or text boxes as opposed to dialogue or whatever um i think it kind of you know that helps move things along like you said aldo um but yeah some of those like two page spreads where it's we see daredevil's path as he is doing his acrobats across his acrobatics across an alley across a room over this guy's head punching that guy flipping back to catch his billy club like it's it's incredible um so I, I think we should have started with something worse in this uh, famous pairing and then gone to this, but here we are, and, uh, you know, we'll read more later, but I, I really enjoyed it and forgot how good it was. I was going in with, like, I think Captain America white expectations, and, uh, yeah, not as good as this one. Do we do we think it that we are ready to rank these stories? Why, yes. Yes. Let's see what we've got. Currently on our list, we have 196 stories. Oh my gosh, we're going to rank our 200th story next time. Ooh. wonder what it's going to be. Uh, I mean, I kind of know. We're, we've got it narrowed down to three. So, uh... <laughs> Although on the list you've got a couple of books that are highlighted in blue. Why that? What's that about? Yes, I have those as kind of like bookmarks. Like those are typically like the books that we look for when we're talking about like this is in the middle or like That's we true. talk about a new hope manga is kind of like a ceiling for something, right? Or whatever. That's Truth actually red, yeah, let's kind of go over that. So Truth Red, uh, White and Black is the one where it's like above above here can't go a racism. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our racism ceiling is currently number 55, which is truth, red, white, and black. Oh, gosh. I love that we have a racism filter. (laughs) That's why Wolverine is where it is. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Uh, Uh, It's as high as it can go. Number 90 is the Star Wars A New Hope manga, which I think everything above that line is a, yeah, you should read this, as opposed to a, yeah, you should read this. That's, That's kind of the way that I figured it. And everything above uh, number 196 is on the list. 196 itself is is dangling off the bottom. Yeah. We'll come up with more landmarks as we go along. Where do we want to rank the Magneto story? I think the first trade is called Infamous. It's tough because I liked it, but it was, you know... I think we are... 
objecting to the violence because of the time we live in. Yeah. Um, that's at least part of it, where it's like, oh boy, this is a lot. I this think is, you know. I think you guys were objecting because to me this was just uh, well, no, probably not him. Uh, Taika Waititi's John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> Why Taika Waititi? I was gonna say Brian Singer because uh, he he did the X Men movies, but then I remembered I don't like him because he's bad people. Yeah. So I pivoted fast, not well. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Anyways, what's our highest ranked Punisher story? Because, again, I do think it's comparable to The Punisher, but the ones that I'm finding are actually pretty low. Like, the Punisher stories that I'm seeing are, uh, like, Punisher Silent Night and Ride the Pain Train. Those are at 162, 163. This is definitely better than those. Are they, I would put this above the New Hope manga. So in the, like, not bad section. Um... But how high do we want to go? Um, I don't think it goes higher than 65, Kang Dynasty. So somewhere between 65 and 90 is my thought, just looking at the list. But um, how high? Because I, I liked it. I think it was good. But I think that, yes, it is quite violent, and um, it's hard to get behind such a brutal you know, main character. I, I wasn't so against... The violence, it did surprise me. It was a little shocking. I think a lot of that is because that's what it wanted to be. It wanted to be shock factor, right? But it was still kind of interesting to see them use the magnetism in creative ways, even if it didn't yeah. really add that much to the story. And you do want that from superhero, su- like from super comics, from cape comics, superhero mm-hmm. stories. You want to see them use their powers in interesting ways, even if they're super uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So my thought, honestly... Because I don't want to put it much higher than Star Wars New Hope manga because Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is right there. And I like that story better. (laughs) I will say that if we were to continue reading this, depending on where it goes, I am open to putting it higher. But right now with what we've got, I would cap this at like number 88 above Black Bolt below Moon Girl. I see the logic in that. Um... But I think it goes higher, personally. I think it goes... I forget what Future Imperfect That's was. That's the one we read last time, where the Hulk fights the Maestro. Oh, not above that. Not it's not above that. No. No. I, but I would put it at 68, above United States of Captain America. Mm, I kind of agree with that, actually. Now, now, <laughs> I just want now to see... you say that, I'm like, oh, that, that feels better to me. Aldo, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't really... Ha- nope. Hey, all right. I don't really have super strong feelings about where to put it. I think the range you guys are in are, are really good because there's a lot of stuff in here that I think is... This is better than Vampire State, Captain Britain. Yeah. Uh, do I think this is better than uh, the Spider-1, Spider-Verse issue? Probably not. Is this better than Spider-Man Noir? Yes. Is this yeah. better than uh, the Spider-Man Civil War? Probably not. I don't know. Number 68 then. Yeah, 68. I'm okay Mm. with that. Okay. No? Is Aldo backing out? No, no, no. It's fine. I'm just four years old. It's okay. (laughs) Okay. Come on. (laughs) What? I said said it. It was almost nice, but not nice. (laughs) All right. So that's Magneto Infamous at number 68. Where do we want to rank... Daredevil Yellow. Our highest ranked Daredevil story is... Look at this book. Look it was drawn for you. And all the things you do. And it was called Daredevil Yellow. 
Look at Hell's Kitchen. Gosh, I hate to do this because I feel like we've been doing this a lot recently. My initial thought is that this goes somewhere in the same neighborhood, perhaps a little bit higher. Because to me, it's actually... Oh, I think a lot higher. I don't know. To me, it's comparable to uh, Future Imperfect, where I'm not... There are aspects of the story that I don't really like, but I love the art. I do think it goes higher than Future Imperfect, um, but I don't know how much higher I would go. Like, it doesn't I'm, have a racism, but I still think Truth, Red, White, and Black might be my ceiling. I am going to put my comparison that this is a better love story than Kamala Khan gets a boyfriend. I agree. I was looking at that, and I was like, yeah. I was looking at uh, My Own Worst Enemy, which is the um, Superior Spider-Man first trade. And I was like, ooh, that's pretty close. But... I actually wanted to put this closer to Last Hand, The Death of Electra. Oh, whoa. Yeah, That's I, top 20 material, dude. Yeah. Personal, personally, yeah. I enjoyed this more than, than Last Hand. Uh, and I, th- I think it's because there's, you know, I think there's some really good aspects in it. I think the art does a really strong job. I think the writing, when it's not overly cheesy, is is really, really well done. Or overly descriptive, as like you were mentioning. Um, but... But the problem is, I think some of these books, I kind of, I kind of like more than this. Uh, like, I definitely like this more than The Man Without Fear, which is the the Frank Miller Romita. That's tough. I really like that one. But like, but, but like The Last Days of Magic and The God Butcher, like those are really good. Uh, sure are. But like, I think this is a, I think this is better than Heroes Reborn. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I would take a Jason Aaron written book over a Jeff Loeb written book any day. We have, Jason Aaron is three in a row at 25, 26, and 27. He's a good writer, John. What is, no, I know, but it's just odd that he's like stacked up like that. Yeah, we had I don't a... know, Jason Aaron might be top five represented writers on this list. Like, I think we've read as much of no, he's great. as we've read of like Bendis. Oh, we've got a Bendis section on the list too. We did, I don't, I think we broke it up a little bit, but. No, there's a Bendis section, but it's all like the mediocre Bendis that's got like the first <laughs> yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, right. the first uh, Ironheart appearance, and Avengers versus X-Men. Yeah, he's better than he is represented on our list, so we should rectify that at some point. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm um, every time I think about Jason Aaron, I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta read more Thor. Oh yeah, I gotta read more Thor. Cause Brian Michael Bendis is also good. at number 10 on our list. I don't feel bad for him. Miles Morales or well, yeah, is up there too. Jason Aaron is not in our top 10, surprisingly enough. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, anyways, I would put this at uh, 20 <laughs> or 21. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I would put this right about the man without fear. I think that's a little high. Okay. I would put it... I would put it definitely above 29, but I don't think it goes higher than Dark Phoenix, but... Oh. I understand why you wouldn't think that, although... Because you're like, Dark Phoenix? I got this comic so I could look at superheroes, not so I could read. Okay, but also... But also, Dark Dark Phoenix goes so many places and does nothing. This this just like you know tells a story we already know. He's just in a yellow costume, <laughs> you know. Like you could reduce it to that in too. A bright silky yellow costume. <laughs> His punches were so furious yet so soft. <laughs> he didn't even leave a mark. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how the Daredevil gave us away with such brutal violence, 
is that there are no marks on his victims. Internal bleeding, you betcha, but no marks on the outside. I I do not think we can put it quite that high, just because I don't know. I, hey, I, I just one of the dangers uh-huh. of Tim Sale is that <laughs> you read his stories. And then you find out that somebody else told the same story, but a little bit better than he did somewhere down the line. You mean Jeff Loeb? Sorry, yes, Jeff Loeb. Tim Sale. The danger with Tim Sale is that uh, he will die young and it will just be a sucky, sucky tragedy. Yeah. Like, a pure coincidence, right, that we read Tim Sale this week. Yeah. But it, it genuinely yeah. sucks. It does. It is really yeah. sad. And, and that was the best part of Heroes, if you watched Heroes back in the day. Um, the first, I don't know, there's probably a season and a half of good episodes. Oh, like Glee? Um, Where there's only one good season? Kind of. Glee doesn't even have one good season. If you like Glee. Glee has maybe half of a good season. I like when they make fun of it on Community. That's fun. Yeah, well, yeah yes. Community's okay. Yeah, but they make fun of Glee, that so another it's one <laughs> yeah, but the heroes, one of the characters on Heroes is a, um, he can see the future. And at the beginning, he can only see the future and he paints it, and it's only when he's high. And then he slowly learns throughout the season to like control his powers. Um, but they use Tim Sale's art for that. He's not a painter, but they were able to, you know, have him do some drawings and then kind of make them, you know, look more like a painting as opposed to, um, and it like, you know, a pencil and paper or ink and paper drawing. And it's beautiful stuff. Some of these, um, you know, uh, images that they use in the show a lot, really cool stuff. So that's interesting, but where do we rank this book? <laughs> uh, listen, I, I gave my opinion. You guys have disagreed with it in unison. So you guys pick. It's not going to go as low as I want it to. So my compromise would be we put it right above Kamala Khan gets a boyfriend. I'm okay with that. Agreed. Do number twenty nine. And that and hurts then, me. And then to put <laughs> Jeff Loeb over my favorite Ms. Marvel story. Pick a better Ms. Marvel story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That came out really aggressive. (laughs) You know what that means? No! Yes, Steven, it does. No! (laughs) Magneto Infamous just wound up at 69. Oh. Nice. Nice. (laughs) Anyway. You are 12 years old. For our next episode... We need a bit of a, a reading break. It's been kind of hard to get through some of these books recently. Our attention span is a lot shorter. Aldo has a new video game console. so I have trouble reading. <laughs> perennial. Um, <laughs> we're going to read some single-issue stories. Admittedly, my pick stretches the definition a little bit. We're going to read the New Mutants graphic novel, which is the introduction to the New Mutants, uh, written by Chris Claremont. So, you know, it's... Technically only like 45 pages, but really it reads like 90. So dense. For John's pick, it's kind of surprising. I'm going to be interested to hear why you picked this. Uh, We're reading an issue of Fantastic Four, number 245, a story called Childhood's End. And then Aldo, being horny on Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Picked... Mary Jane and Black Cat Beyond. So yeah, next episode, join us for the Simper Human Registration Podcast. Super simple way. 
<laughs> that's that's what Aldo says every time he leaves the room. <laughs> Super Sam, away, away.